want to talk about a little bit more about Elizabeth Warren because like the people who wanted to vote for Elizabeth Warren in the beginning because they felt like she, be, just by nature of her you know being more close to the Democratic Party being you know uh, a better technocrat I guess arguably that she was the better choice to enact progressive legislation in the beginning and even up towards you know a certain point who knows where that point is like the arbitrary point that makes sense to me it's like I think there are a lot of arguments you can make where like hey from the beginning you know maybe Warren Maybe Warren was the person who was most likely to get to get the one election. It is what it is. At this point, it's like not only has she dropped out and not endorsed anybody, not only has she dropped out and not endorsed anybody and gone on SNL, but there seems to be like this kind of like concerted smug mentality amongst her, like the her remaining voters who, and again, a lot of them have already jumped ship. The same way many people who would have been, who are Bernie supporters would have been happy to vote for Elizabeth Warren in the beginning had Bernie dropped out. They're like, oh yeah, of course, you know, he's my second choice. Why would I like draw this out? There is still like a, a bunch of hangers on who basically just want to be begged. They want to be begged to continue fighting for what they claim were their ideals. It doesn't make any sense within the paradigm that they want me to pretend like it makes sense within, which is that like they're just grieving and they're engaging in. So I don't care. I, I don't. Not at all. But like, no, you're not grieving like, and engaging in like any kind of like weird like mourning process. If that is true, it's only true because you've supplanted your ego with literally Elizabeth Warren campaign, which I think is true. Right? I think there is a certain population of her supporters who supported her and their care for social justice, so they're for fighting inequality. But just like I commented about the sort of grass tops activist nonprofit industrial complex workers who who are also allowing her campaign, like it begins and ends once they can center themselves in that narrative. It's like for a lot of people, Elizabeth Warren was a way for them to prove that white women were going to be the progressive champions that ushered us out of the age of darkness of Trump into some sort of progressive utopia. And without it being spearheaded by a white woman with questionable racial politics and questionable foreign policy politics, it's questionable politics generally, they don't care so much about it. It's like, I just want to quickly add that that's not unique to politics, but that also oh, phenomena of celebrity uh, across, uh, you know, all genre and everything. And I think you, and you see the same kind of reactions. You see people both see themselves in the successes of this person that they identify with and then seeing themselves attacked when that person's attacked and you see them react in the same types of ways where they essentially, when a celebrity is attacked online, people take it uh, so personally and react as if they were personally attacked or in like... It, it, it it's not it's not unique to politics or Warren supporters. Uh, you can see it among Bernie supporters as well. So well, like, they, they, I just want to put that out there, like to be people fair. do it with the DNC, which I think is the most fucking like scary part. Like, people literally identify themselves as a Democrat and tie their entire social worth into the fact that they're a Democrat, not a Republican, without ever ever analyzing what the Democrats actually do or have done historically. And, you know, like they buy into that whole narrative of like, oh, well, the Democrats are the ones that fought for civil rights. It's like, well, no, they fucking didn't. You know, they had to be pushed tooth and nail and dragged across that fucking line by, by people who are outside that. Yeah, by, by, by people by, who are outside of the Democratic Party. By young, and, by, by young black grass or, you know, young people of color activists, young gay activists, young women activists who existed outside of that nonprofit industrial complex paradigm that we have, right. we have of activists now. Like they were pushed to the left by people like Black Lives Matters, Ferguson and protesters, not people, not, like, not people like, you know, like who, who are running like uh, your local Atlanta uh, uh, fucking like racial justice nonprofit. They were they were pushed by people who were taking to the streets where the possibility, where the very real possibility of like violence and mass disruption of capital were, were possible. Are you, are you saying that, uh, shot, you know, assassinated? 
are you saying that it's not events that, you know, talk about racial justice that are sponsored by Bank of America that are actually changing minds and radicalizing people and moving them left? If that were the case, yeah. gag and fucking Elizabeth Warren would have more support, would have more, support, would have more black support. <laughs> say, of course not. Right. But I mean, I think that like that narrative appeals to that narrative, along with the narrative that like the people of color are reducible to the older black, like rank and file Democratic voter appeals to just the generally how we discuss racial inequality, gender inequality in the country, where we, we pick the most flattering narrative to power and we amplify that one and pretend like it's broadly representative mm-hmm. of all narratives that of the of people who are who share identity characteristics that was the appeal of Pete Buttigieg that was the appeal of uh that was the appeal of Kamala Harris that was the appeal of people like Castro that was the appeal of people like Cory Booker and you know once they left the the podium there was a real a real limitation that they could no longer do that, right? That's why they were prepared with the narrative that Joe Biden was going to run a ramshot over Bernie Sanders' revolution once black people were going to vote because that's what they need to do in order to justify being so cozy to capital. It's like if like, if right. black voters, if you know people of color are not voting for you know your old guard Joe Biden, they're voting for Bernie Sanders, or like if there's a split and you can generally attribute the support for black people, uh, the support that Joe Biden has the most that population to like just you know be honest inertia in you know in culture age inertia age just culturally being democrat it's like then you have to engage with the fact that like the democratic party is not really offering anything comprehensive because they can't really it's like they can't really like the like the only thing they can offer are these vague narratives these vague symbolic gestures uh and oppositional positioning to democrat the republican party because like they're trying to do something that's impossible which is be the party of both landlords and tenants like they're trying to be the- which is why one of the biggest arguments that they've been making has been the Harriet Tubman on the five dollar yeah, bill. Like, like they can, all they can offer is bullshit that doesn't appeal to anybody because like it, like, all they can offer is bullshit that that is too broadly applicable to really help anybody and fear because in fear of the Republicans because like you know when you put landlords and tenants in the same party you know when you put bankers and like and tech billionaires and also like gig economy workers in the same party you can't really like you have a series of competing of competing material interests of of diametrically opposed material right. interests that can't be overcome with rhetoric or symbolism. All it can be overcome with is fear of the Republicans and pretending otherwise just means you're going to admit you're, you're just deluding yourself. Like, you know, that- and that was, that was absolutely 100% on television the other night when Fredo was interviewing Nina Turner and I forget the other woman's name who was a surrogate for Biden. And she was going on and on about how Martin Luther King, that was uh, Hillary Rosen. Thank you. When she, Hillary Rosen was going on and on and on about the letter from a Birmingham jail and misinterpreting it as favorable to Biden and others. And Nina was correcting him. And at the end, uh, Fredo like basically let Rosen I- interrupt Nina over and over and over again and then said, hey, calm down. You're both in the same party. You're both going to be you're both on the same team. And they, there's a fundamental flaw with that. And, and that right there is perfectly a perfect encapsulation of it. Well, I mean, yeah, people got mad at me. Speaking of the letter from Birmingham, people got mad at me because I was just like Pete Buttigieg is way too it's way Pete Buttigieg and Joe and Joe Biden are way too conservative to be the white moderate that that uh yeah. Martin, King, Martin King Jr. warned us about. Yeah, he was hundred percent talking about this. Warren. Warren is the moderate that Martin King Jr. warned us about, the one who is going to you know get in the way of progress in order to keep some sort of negative peace between like what she rather what she perceives herself to be a negative peace. I I would argue like if I don't endorse anybody, I'm not angering the Bernie people or the Biden people. And it's just like no, actually that's like that's a fool's logic. Like like, and, like if you're if you're sitting on the fence, like you're making your you're making your endorsement worth less and less the day, you know, as far 
every day that goes by. And we're getting to the point now where it's becoming clear, like, hey, you know what? If you had gone on SNL and endorsed Bernie Sanders, which again is your right not to do, that would have been perfectly reasonable. But what we're seeing now is that like people are arguing that she has the right to endorse, and you know, she and her and her dead ender followers have the right to do whatever they want with their political opinion, and that's true, right? And like it would have. And there, and there is certainly a population, as Richard mentioned, because neoliberalism has turned everything into brands and everyone into fandoms of those brands, which they can easily project their whatever values onto they want to. Like, if there would have been some people who did that to, to Bernie Sanders, too. The thing is that those people would have been crit- criticized by the media. They would have been criticized by the Warren campaign had they done that. They would have been criticized by basically everybody because he... Because, and blame for losses. Yeah, and, and blame for, blame for you know, with reverse, blame for Elizabeth Warren's losses to Joe Biden. And B... Like they're using Elizabeth Warren's loss as some kind of proof of concept that people just aren't ready for a smart, non-white male to lead the party. But every decision she's made has been completely inept. You know, from the beginning, she's made, I would argue she's made wrong decision after wrong decision. She continues to make wrong decisions that are wrong for her brand, but she seems to now have fallen into that bubble of Hillary Clinton supporters where it's like, oh, no matter what you do, they're going to they're gonna support you. But I refuse to beg white women for any, I'm not begging white women for shit. Like, honestly, it's like, like, this is ridiculous. Like, they want, they, like, they want you to beg them to care, to theoretically care about the beliefs that they have. But, this, but I mean, honestly, at this point, it could becomes clear, this is all about them. You know, the, the Elizabeth Warren revolution was the definition of like the not, you know, her revolution was like not the not me us movement. It was the not us me movement. It was like, if I'm projecting under her what, you know, what my class position is and what my anxieties about my role in, you know, uh, in my world are. And like, if she can't be the vehicle by which we get equality, I guess we can't have equality. This is like, this is, this is like, you know, bougie POC, PMC class and bougie white women, like manifesting their well, people just don't like me because I'm fucking too intimidating and smart and not because I'm a tedious asshole, <laughs> like, like politics. Like, who doesn't politics. support, uh, yeah, and who doesn't support policies that they state that they support. And I think what ties those that together with the kind of the mediocrity we see is the SNL dancing with Warren and that both, uh, you know, that TikTok teens are uh, – exponentially more creative and funnier than the whole uh, six figure seven figure staff at SNL but then also yep. that like they the it's this the rewarding that you see of that is also emblematic of the same type of personal uh, kind of uh, the placing of their own or establishing their own identity through these celebrities and that like to critique the their mediocrity is to uh, basically confront their own mediocrity and that is uh something that a lot of uh, america is not comfortable with and i would argue definitely 54 percent of uh white women <laughs> as the, i mean they're, yeah. they're just they're just, be- as Trump's show. I mean, they're, just ba- they're just basic like they're basic as shit like, like, like they're basic as shit like you know i haven't watched snl in almost a fucking decade uh and i mean like they had they had fucking trump on there in the middle of the, the republican primary so it was fine I mean, it was fine to, it was fine to like fucking, like they, they have no problem platforming Republicans on that show. It's just for me, it's just like, we have to pretend, you know, this is, this is a good example of how like progressives, I mean, not even progressive society, but like our social justice spaces or like our dynamic within social justice, like the social justice movement broadly from the center left to the, I would say the far left, if that's the one thing that unites us in some ways is still geared towards the like the the coddling and platforming of like fucking 
bougie white women, right? It's like they are the model minority. Largely, they're the model minority because they're the ones who's like, you know, it's hard to put this into like the correct terminology, but like their narratives about like the what's wrong with society by nature of being like upper middle class and white and usually straight or, you know, and like just well ingratiated in that world is like, like the narratives that they construct that challenge power, challenge it across like the most basic of lines, which is, it's, 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 it's completely, you know, this is, it's completely based on like gender roles and like the sexism that they talk about is not wrong or or not a manifestation of it. It's just focused, you know, like Elizabeth Warren is a candidate of people who are really, really upset that like the, like that they got, you know, that there are, that they only make $375,000 to the, to like, to the $425,000 that their male counterpart makes at the, like the corporate law firm they work. But that narrative doesn't appeal to anybody. It's like, like, no one. It's it's human rights campaign endorsing Raytheon as the number one place to work. It's not, it's not the kind of appealing narrative that like that, people resonate with people of color, you know, uh, poor people, any kind of person, but it's the kind of narrative that the mainstream media does not mind propping up as being like an exemplary tale of like how bad, how bad society is because it's just like, it, it doesn't really challenge any of like the most basic, <laughs> basic tenets of like maldistribution of resources or lack of right. access to resources or alienation. It's just like, it's a very, you know, it's it is shallow. It, it's it's the it's you know it's Amy Klobuchar's beef with Pete Buttigieg. It's like it's. I would, yeah, I would right. just also add that I think that there's a factor of you know, uh, social or uh, at a society wide level that uh, of anybody outside of white cis white males, uh, the people that you can be empathetic with or relate to is uh, white women. You know we see that in the criminal justice system where attractive white women see disproportionately lower sentences and so on and so forth. Uh, and you know in Hollywood for where they're getting cast as to play roles that were, you know, written as people of color, so on and so forth. So it's like, you, the, when the part of the reasons why I think the, the narratives of those, besides the, I think the very apt uh, points that you raise about the, how they challenge power, it's also social or uh, socially, it's a, a lot easier for a larger group of people to kind of empathize, understand, relate to, recognize, see, like it, it doesn't, uh, conflict with their understanding of society to empathize or to, you know, see themselves in a white woman, even if they wouldn't see the same type of treatment given if they were in that situation, particularly uh, with the class dynamic. I mean, but again, from my perspective, like, I'm not interested in why Elizabeth Warren is doing what she's doing. I'm interested in like the long-term reper- the long-term repercussions about why Democratic Party is doing what it's doing and how it's becoming harder and harder to imagine that like if Sanders loses, that they're capable of beating Trump, that they're capable of even putting up resistance to a Trump's second term, because it seems like that's such a distant, a distant concern for them, besides like continuing to not only suppress Bernie Sanders, but to protect the mythology surrounding their brand. And they pulled out all the stops to do that. But like, that's not going to get people to turn out to vote. And I mean, that would be my last point Then you guys can finish up your last points. Like even the Bernie, like the Bernie or bus, Bernie or bus narrative, which a lot of people apparently, a lot of people apparently warn or bus, which is surprising because they were supposed to be like the smart, pragmatic people. But I guess, you know, there's no accounting for that. But like the people like Bernie or bus people who are online make up a fraction 
of like people who will like a very small fraction of people who will set out the election if Biden is the nominee. And not because they've, they've come to the self-actualized definition of Bernie or Bust. They probably never, have never even heard the term. They're probably not on Twitter. They're probably not watching MSNBC or reading articles by any of the, the pundit class who are interested in like chastising Bernie. It's just like they're excited by what Bernie's doing. Like, like the Latino voters who are what I would argue probably want him to abolish ICE or the people who want Medicare for All or the students who want student loan debt forgiveness. Like they're not existing in the spaces where it's going to be possible to chastise them uh, and get them to do better in the future. It's like because the, even the Bernie or bus narrative and chastising Bernie with bus people is not for like winning the election. It's for centrists to protect their own ego and, dis- and disguise why they've lost. Following 2016, they did some research about why people didn't vote. And the number one reason why people didn't vote was uh, didn't like candidates or campaign issues. And that had 25% of the people that didn't vote. And after that was uh, not interested, felt vote wouldn't make a difference, which was another 15%. So you got 40% of the people that didn't vote not voting because they just aren't interested in the candidates and don't think that it's going to make a difference. And that's larger than any uh, research shows of Bernie or Bust or even Hillary or Bust or the Pumas or any of the groups. Is the largest group of uh, voters that aren't engaged aren't engaged because they don't think the system has any thing to offer them essentially and it's like after that became is too busy or conflicting schedule and illness and disability uh combining for another 26 percent and so you're looking at people that like that that speaks to the lack of registration the lack of uh, accessibility for voting we saw seven hour lines in texas and elsewhere uh and uh the conflicting schedule speaks to the, the harmful, uh, the harming of capitalism and interfering with our ability to even engage in our democracy and the illness and disability speaks to a lack of medical uh, care that prevents people from being able to even do the most basic thing in their democracy, which is vote. And so like you have a, a upwards of 60% of the voting population that isn't, or the, of the people that aren't voting, aren't voting, beca- not because they're, uh, they don't actually have a political, uh, mindset that, you know, that they want to support something that uh, forwards their interest, but because they've uh, either recognized or feel the material conditions that the system doesn't allow them to participate or doesn't uh, give offer them an option. And so all these campaigns about appealing to a few million people that switch between voting Republican and Democrat, in my mind, are just objectively stupid or uh, like, sorry for the, I don't know the word, but like, it's just, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. There's million, there's tens of millions of people that already agree with uh, Bernie Sanders or the left in general and just don't engage because there's never anybody to, to support. And it's like, that's always been the, the thing. And so like, while Bernie's uh, support, I'll just find one final thing is that while Bernie's support has increased turnout, it hasn't been the kind of revolutionary increase in turnout that it has to be in order to, to overcome the machinations of the Democratic Party, the establishment, and the powers that have a direct material interest in stopping him. And so, like, if you want to do it through electoralism, you got to work harder, point blank. It doesn't matter if the table's tilted against you. We don't know that that's the truth. I mean, we don't know that he's not actually turning people out because, honest to God, I have no fucking confidence in our election system. Um, you know, when you have software that's storing a vote as a float rather than an integer, which means it can be manipulated as a fraction rather than a whole number, then you, you've got baked in inconsistencies into the entire system. And the majority of the, the like 26 states use software that does that. And so Texas literally didn't count votes. So it's just like, the, you're right. right in that we don't specifically actually, the, you can't say for a fact, this is how many people voted in any of the, the elections that right. the Democrats held, period. Right. You just can't. 
You can't. And, and on top of that, you can't know how many voted for how many, which person or which, per, uh, or which candidate and how many voted for down ballot candidates but didn't vote in the primary or any of that. You just don't know. And the fact that our electoral system is like this is purposeful. And it's for exactly those reasons that we've been talking about. If you have an electoral system that works, then you're responsible. And right now it's working for the people who don't want to have any responsibility for governing or who see it as a way to consolidate or keep their power in both parties as is. I mean, like example, I think is in Iowa where, you know, we saw that they literally just said, we don't care if the nobody in the national press will even agree with what the Iowa democratic party says. And we don't care if you can see the airs of the math. Uh, we've been doing this. We've been basically botching this election the entirety that it's existed and we're not going to stop. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, it's it's the fact that you feel crazy when you talk about this stuff with most normal people. Like we talk about the low information voters and the normies. Like when you talk about just anything, even basic history in the U.S., most people have no fucking clue what's going on. And, and it's quite staggering. And to you know, come across conversation that's informed as well as um, enlightening and also challenging, um, it, it's it's rare. Well, I mean, so I, I'm really thankful for this. Honestly, I would say that listening to Joe Biden is challenging. You know, un- <laughs> trying to trying to understand what he's trying to do is, is a is a challenging endeavor. Not for the reasons they pretend like it is. No, I was going to say I, I just you know I'm still optimistic about Bernie Sanders' chance to win, and if not, you know, win the nomination and win the election. And honestly, like it sounds, you know, it sounds bad, and maybe maybe uh, a little bit like a fucking nihilistic. But I, I'm also like. I'm also fairly certain that if the Democratic Party continues along this strategy, like they'll lose and like their party will implode. It's like I think that the big issue the Democratic Party has is not necessarily like thinking further enough down the line of like, you know, of long term. Well, what happens if Biden loses to Trump? What happens when you know Trump, Biden gets on stage and Trump raises all of these things to the electorate that they had kind of heard whispers of, but they had never, you know, but the, the news hadn't been reporting on it substantially enough of you know, Mandela and Social Security and not being endorsed by by Obama and all these things that people should be privy to, but they were being like subjected to like weird causal fucking like philosophical, uh, you know, philosophical engagement with like whether we can know the causality of anything in order to dispel like the idea of medical bankruptcy. And so, you know, in propping up Joe Biden and trying to sneak him past the goal, all they're really going to do is make people distrust the Democratic Party and distrust the media more. And they can try to blame that. They can they can blame that on Bernie Sanders. And they can try to blame that then they will, but it will, it will make a difference because people don't trust them anymore. It's like people are going to be, you know, people are going to be moving away from them. Well, I thought that would be the case too in state 2016, but in fact, the viewership for 65 and older has gotten stronger. It's just, but here's why, but here's why that is. It's because of Russiagate. It's like the viewership, like uh, media, I mean, like generally speaking, it's like uh, trusting the media is down across the board, except with Democrats, right? You know, independents are having less trust in the media. Republicans have less trust in the media. It's Democrats who saw a big boon in 2017, 18 uh, with the, with, you know, with Russiagate and impeachment. But I think, again, that was a churn and burn strategy. And it's cynical. It's going to lead to a lot of people disengaging again because it didn't lead to anything. And just speaking of the Russia shit, the, the Russia gate thing again, it's like they're going to be subpoenaing fucking Joe Biden, and that's going to also be in the news while he's while he's trying to run for president. And so they're basically just doing the same thing they did again with Hillary Clinton with a worse candidate. They found a worse candidate, and like what it, it feels as though what they're what they are doing is waiting for America's standards to just lower. And it's like okay, well, eventually you're going to lower your standards to accept whatever we give you. And it's just not going. 
going to happen. <laughs> it's just, well, in like, 2008, like the Democratic Party told every like told them that Joe Biden was worse than Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like, it, within the Democratic Party, they, they, they've told themselves that he's worse than Hillary Clinton. It's all very self-destructive. It's all very self-destructive because I think it relies on this idea that the electorate can be you know, like like Mitt Romney said, shaking like an extra sketch after the primaries and everyone's brain is just erased and you can just pretend like no one made all these arguments. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. The thing is, is I think that it, it does a little bit. And I think that one of the things that we've seen is that the, the Democratic Party as an apparatus is actually trying to change who their electorate is. And they actively talk about it. They're trying to pick up all of the voters in the rich suburbs that are no longer uh, no longer comfortable with the open racism of the general GOP now. And they're doing that. We saw that in the 2018 primaries or 2018 contests across the country. They are getting those suburban voters. It's just they're not getting the suburban GOP voters. You're just getting suburban voters who hadn't voted before but that, or who were voted before, but infrequently. And I think that is going to fundamentally shift a lot of the things that you're talking about, because if you no longer care what the black voter does because you're trying to court white, richer suburban voters or white, not just white, any richer suburban voters rather than any voter um, who is poorer or less well off, then you don't really give a fuck what they think. And so I think we're going to see, even with like you saying about the party being destroyed, I don't think the party is going to be destroyed. I think we're going to see a fundamental shakeup of politics where you're going to see a Tucker Carlson aligned uh, GOP trying to make a, case to workers and poorer people while still keeping the rhetoric of nationalism. And you're going to see a more wealthy and erudite Democratic Party than even what we currently have. Well, I mean, I don't, and I think that is moving to pick up the pieces that the Democrats are leaving on the board. Well, I mean, that also speaks to the fact that like, and this is another danger of positioning like the black vote as reducing, as the rather uh, racism or anti-racism as just like, you know, essentially uh, like black people and then trying to reduce black people to older black voters uh, who are more most of the Democratic Party is that like a lot of those people are incredibly reactionary and they know not like you know not by Amer- not by the standards of the two-party system because the two-party system obscures just how deeply reactionary our society is but a lot of black voters are incredibly reactionary and that was one of the issues when people were trying to analyze like whether or not economic economic uh, anxiety or economic concerns or material anxiety or social anxiety contributed to like the rise or rather a person's willingness to uh parrot or be swayed by far-right reactionary thought. It's like, well, you know, black voters were propped up as though, like, their voting for Democratic Party proved that, like, that wasn't true. It's like, well, A, Democratic Party is reactionary. Uh, B, black people on third issue by issue basis are also, can, can be incredibly reactionary. Even on race, they can be incredibly reactionary if, if it's not an issue of anti-blackness or, and, but, you know, even the older black voters have issues with, like, you know, uh, respectability politics and picking in like not sagging your pants and shit that hasn't happened in other in some 20 years in the black community. But like they don't want to engage in the fact, but like they, uh, if I had a dollar for every black person who I met, especially older black people, like, oh yeah, you know, I like a lot of what Trump is saying. Too bad he's racist against black people. It's just like, yeah, like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party doesn't, doesn't like us. And so like, if it weren't for like their active dislike of the of the of black people, I think it, it would be split more evenly, right? I mean, uh, the white women are good at white women. At least their active dislike of black people would be split more evenly amongst black men voting for black Republicans. I mean, black women are, you know, placed at the intersection of a lot of different uh, systems of oppression that make them much less likely to be swayed by reactionary thought 
But even they, you know, this, there are always still Candace Owens out there. But the way we discuss politics and like what and the defining attributes of what makes someone a Republican or Democrat or like the essential qualities of them are so steeply based in like the branding of each party that it becomes hard to realize just how close they are and how little that shit matters versus like versus like, like the, the brands people project onto them, like just being like culturally unconsciously voting for each party. But that's all I really had for today. So if anyone has any final thoughts, we've been going at this for a while, please like share your final yeah. thoughts. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, hell no. Yeah, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Go to the gym and lift and get it and then die. I don't know. <laughs> I think that uh, we're going to see the, the, the one thing I'm super, super excited about is the fact that MBS and Russia are having a pissing contest about oil, which is going to drive the uh, shale fracking business pretty much out of business, I think, uh, which is going to be fucking amazing. So that's what I'm excited about today. And I think it's uh, going to have worldwide ramifications that are going to be incredibly negative, but might, if we seize this opportunity, might have ramifications for a Green New Deal that could be long lasting. But I mean, I hope so, because the Green New Deal is one of the biggest arguments, or rather the climate change is one of the biggest arguments that we don't have time. Like people keep pretending yep. like if we if we stave off, are we getting Trump out of office and worrying about progressive stuff later, like maybe four years or eight years from now, is a possibility? No, it's not. It's like it simply isn't. And like faith in time nope. is a very useful tool of capitalists to keep people from like enacting progressive change right now or seeing the immediacy necessary for certain for certain things by convincing that, that, you know, it can be done in the future or like justice always prevails eventually. I would say the coronavirus is a good example of that too. Not to sort of go off on a t- another tangent, but like the way people are treating it as though like, oh, well, it'll blow off of over eventually. I'm like, that's not really how, <laughs> that's not really how, how pandemics work. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it shows I, the, the necessity for the immediacy of an actual functional healthcare system, a Medicare for all type uh, 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 system. And it's like and that that's going to be continually replicated as we confront the, the cascading issues as a result of uh, Corona and, and so on and so forth. And to my uh to put a silver line. Uh, no, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe you'll have to edit this, but uh, I personally, I think as far as Congress and the Senate and the presidency, I think coronavirus has got a better chance of winning than we do, but <laughs> I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an accelerationist. That's more of the democratic party establishment's main line with, uh, you know, uh, nominating tr- uh, Biden. But like, I mean, I think the, you know, Things like pandemics really, really, really emphasize the gaps that we have on our social and, you know, not just our health infrastructure and our normal infrastructure, but just like our social infrastructure. Like it just like the our our cultural overburdening of people who make up like the necessary, like the necessary functions of our day to day lives. Uh and the inability for those people who are working with kids and working with food and working with like uh, like working in transportation to take the time they need off without risking like losing their job is like it's tailor made to start like a fucking uh, epidemic, right? And it's funny. I will say it's funny though because like. And this is, again, a totally aside, like thinking about all of like the contagion movies that we have, like about like essentially, you know, at least the, the more modern ones, like like Contagion and uh, I Am Legend, which is based on an older book, I think, you know, whatever, Gemini Man or uh, something, something like that, uh, or Planet of the Apes or any of those movies where like, or like 28 Days Later, like they don't really engage with just how, or rather they don't, none of them, at least to my knowledge, engage and have engaged with just how like 
we have constructed a society with, where individualism is rampant, where we lack the social infrastructure and the health infrastructure to prevent uh, uh, like a fucking pandemic from actually spreading. And it's all just treated like these things. Like every, I feel like every Contagion movie we have just treats like pandemics as though they are impossible to prevent or to, just to manage properly. When in reality, it's like we just, yeah. we just, we America just lacks that kind of, uh, just lacks that kind of like impetus to do that stuff. There's a strange parallel to the Katrina, to Katrina and the levee breaking in that essentially U.S. society has put uh, millions of people on the precipice and just a, like just floating just above the, the the line and essentially banking on nothing catastrophic happening uh, in order to to make that sustainable and is like as soon as something catastrophic happens or it's pushed just a little bit further than they've been able to endure so far, it starts a cascading effect of uh, catastrophe that is uh undeniable and and irreparable and like in the case of uh, katrina it was limited to a very specific geographic region uh with a pandemic and the economic impacts it's global well no, definitely and i think katrina like you know it also speaks to uh like how our particular 24-hour news cycle is not properly geared towards something like something that is not limited to a particular population that requires a lot of, of attention because like yeah katrina Katrina people were were uninterested in talking about it like three weeks, four weeks later, and the media kind of acquiesced to that, except for like, you know, rel- relatively uh, sporadic like updates about what was going on. Like with the with coronavirus, it's like I think people are expecting the media to stop talking about it and for it to stop being important eventually. And so they, they're kind of living their life with, oh, like well, eventually a week later, this will be out of the news cycle. It's like, well, no, again, that's not right. pandemics. <laughs> like, don't make a good point. Like two weeks ago, Italy was fine or you no, know, about three weeks ago now, but two weeks ago, Italy was fine. And it's like, what do you think New York, America is going to look like in two weeks? Like, what do you think a lot of things are going to look like in two weeks? And like, we just have a very uniquely unsuited cultural space to handle this, I think quite right now. And that should be worrying for people. And even just going what you were saying, like even best case scenario, which I think people sort of have except that's normal, which is that like every eight years, people just lose their civil rights and all of the public sector gets gutted because Republicans are in power, you know, and that's just the way things have to be. It's like the, like the lack of sustainability of the two party system and like this sort of like ebb and flow of civil rights and ebb and flow of institutional competency and and ebb and flow of infrastructural safety is being it also shown to be completely unsustainable because like what happens if a pandemic happens during the wrong eight years it's just like, what, like what, mm-hmm. what happens if it's, it's like, like we're looking at a police state uh, uh like orchestrated by the trump administration is what's like 100 like, yeah. like that's that's a like the possibility or probability of that is greater than like i would put it definitely above one percent probably ten percent probably higher i'm no statistic what, uh, what do you think he's going to do about the elections if this gets to be the death rates that are are we're talking about the high ends like what do you think trump's going to do with this in elections it's just there's actually a health hazard to people over the age of 65 standing in line for two hours to vote too so like you become you actually undermine the act, the very like practical and like the, the functional aspects of how our democracy works. Like you, it, it ceases to function. So like these are all real right. possibilities and, 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 that and, our media is not going to uh, confront and address and think through and, and deal with, not just because of their own personal interests, but just because they're fucking vapid and stupid. You go into say, let's, they're going to do something like Washington state with mail-in ballots. What do you think is going to happen when the secretary of state of Georgia starts counting those votes? <laughs> I mean, he, he can't mm-hmm. count a vote in his own election correctly. And, you know, the Democrats acquiesce on that. What do you think it's going to happen? I mean, it's just flabbergasting. 
I mean, it seems like the government is incapable of taking it seriously. And <laughs> because like, it's just, like you said, like, you know, in order to actually combat, you know, like not taking it seriously, but criticizing why we aren't able to take it seriously requires actual critiques of capitalism and critiques of like the current business models that we pertain in and that we participate in. If they look at the the workers at Chipotle who basically had to fucking, like the workers at Chipotle basically had to go on strike to avoid having to work what would flu-like symptoms. It's like not to even mention like the gig economy. It's like, you know, there is no guaranteed like sick days or manager to demand that you go sick if you're delivering food for like Grubhub or delivering food for like, or driving people on a taxi and that's up to your discretion like essentially and some people need the money so i mean it's like we're like we're uniquely we're uniquely weak to you know we're unique we're uniquely weak to this pathogen not for like biological reasons although we we are weak that not only for biological reasons but just because of how capitalism has structured the way we engage with people and the way our society like the way we work and we interact so it is what it is what the fuck it is uh good good to be back I hope everyone, you know, sign off. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure as always. We'll try and record more frequently so we don't have to try and cram so much into the well, one now, well, now that Adair is, is going to be back more frequently, it should be easier. So we, we've, we've gone to our transitional phase, so it's perfect. I need a body language expert to decipher all my moves to tell me that I'm lying and to read my To shake her hand That's a lecherous And deceitful move And look at how I stand My shoulders hunched A Shylock glance My eyes cast down A guilty stance Your third eye sees A sniveling rat be my cunning cat I need a body language expert to watch my bony frame to measure all my angles and to denigrate the to draw from me such joy and read me every way you can. You said I'm like a turtle, so we just can't trust this man. I use nine whole words to deny those claims that should have just been contrived. Just a socialist old Semite I need a body language expert A credentialed analyst Let you on TV So you must be good at this I need a body language me with your eyes.